Zara, I am so excited to talk about today's sponsor. It's the new film, Challenges. It's from the director of Call Me By Your Name, Luca Guadagnino, and stars and is produced by none other than our girl Zendaya. Yeah, you know I love her. You love her too. I love her so much. Zendaya plays Tashi Duncan, a former tennis prodigy turned coach who is married to a Grand Slam champion, currently on a losing streak. And if that's not bad enough, Tashi's strategy to help her husband break his curse sort of takes a surprising and awkward turn. Hmm, awkward indeed. Because now he must face off against his former best friend and Tashi's ex-boyfriend, Patrick. Zara, the tensions are running high. I know. Tashi's someone who makes no apologies for her game on and off the court. It's her game, her rules, but with her past and present colliding, Tashi must face reality and ask herself, what will it cost to win? Challenges is the sexy drama that everyone's talking about and it's definitely not one you want to miss. It's about passion, friendship and what happens when your past comes back to challenge you. You can grab a ticket from Tuesday the 26th. So grab your friends and get excited. I will be grabbing you and we are definitely going to be going to watch it. Oh, please. Thank you so much to Challenges for making this episode of Shameless possible. Low. Hello and welcome to Shameless, the pop culture podcast for smart women who love dumb stuff. You're joined as always by Melbourne journalist Zara McDonald, that would be you, and Michelle Andrews, that would be me. Hello, Michelle. Coming up on today's show, the trashy Herald Sun opinion piece that made us roll our eyes this week, plus the British celebrity feud that has quickly become the juiciest gossip story of the year. And finally, Zara, Ellen DeGeneres says she can be friends with whoever the hell she pleases, but not everyone agrees. But first, tell me, how was your week? My week was very good. We headed to Brisbane this week. Bris Vegas. Bris Vegas. And I tell you what, we escaped the Melbourne weather at a brilliant time. I know the weather is like the world's worst conversation starter. So please, let's all start our week, our lovely (laughs) Monday mornings, with a discussion of the weather. shall I push ahead? Because it was 12 degrees, and I think I might have exaggerated, but it was 12-ish degrees in Melbourne when we flew to Brisbane, and it was 37 degrees on the day we arrived in Brisbane. Look, I think that was a bit – I think it was like 15 in Melbourne, 34 in Brisbane. (laughs) But you know what? Your story sounded better, so we'll Don't go with that. Don't let the truth get in the way of a good story, Michelle. Um, so that was wonderful. We interviewed the lovely Abby Chatfield. Thank you so much for everybody who listened to that and gave such wonderful and kind feedback to Abby. She did speak about things that she wasn't particularly comfortable talking about, but she's felt ready to talk about. So if you haven't listened to that, I would very much recommend it. It's already one of our most downloaded in conversation episodes. Before you get on to the rest of your week, I do have a question for you that just popped into my head. Oh, dear. 37 degrees in Brisbane is better than 15 in Melbourne. But what is the ideal temperature? Like, what is your ideal? Oh, no, brilliant on, question. Like, hit the nail brilliant on the head temperature. Question. I love how we've made this about the weather now. Because everyone has a different one. My mum's ideal temperature, she says, is about a 23 or 24. Nah. Completely different to my ideal Vicky, temperature. Vicky, I'm I'm a hot girl. <laughs> Someone remix that, please. No, I'm very much into warmth. I would say... 30 or 31 and sunny. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think 33, sunny, 
with a light, light, light breeze would be my perfect, perfect weather. We're asking for a lot, not just 33 sunny, but with a light (laughs) breeze. No, but it is so true. If I had to physically manufacture my perfect day, that would be it. Lots of people will be listening to this and disagreeing. Some people legitimately love winter weather and think the best day possible would be 15 in Melbourne. (laughs) Dare I say it early, come to the the episode thread in the (laughs) Facebook group. (laughs) Tell us your ideal temperature with a little sprinkling of extra demands, be it sunshine or light breeze. Absolutely. You know what I'd love? You know how people, as they watch The Bachelor, they put their comments in on threads in the group. Someone needs to live comment or live tweet a shameless episode. Yeah, there'd be some good and some terrible reactions. And first and foremost, it's probably that we've been waffling for too long. I do have one recommendation for you this week. I read Whisper Network by Chandler Baker. Chandler Baker isn't a full-time author. She's actually a lawyer and wrote this story um, by taking leave from work. It is so timely and of the moment, this book. It's about a fictional Fortune 500 company where accusations of sexual harassment against the future CEO arise. Ooh, is it a bit of a Me Too spin-off? It's a huge Me Too spin-off. You can actually see the kinds of real-life news stories that she's picked up and written about. The and overlap. Exactly. It's a really good story. It's pretty pacey. Um, I did prefer the non-fiction book that I read of She Said last week, but this was another really good story. It feels like I'm on theme at the moment. Yeah, you've got a Me Too not a hobby. I mean, Me Too is not anyone's hobby, but it's, it's definitely your topic of interest and right I, now. And I tell you what, I am really interested in reading Ronan Farrow's new book, which is out called Catch and Kill. So maybe that's my third. And then we need a fourth to round out the month. We so do. How was your week? It was a great week. I spent it all with you, <laughs> my little buddy. We, oh, we moved into our office too. We did move into our office. We are actually recording from our office right now. Zara, we are very modern and futuristic. We are working from Just Co in Melbourne CBD. It is a co-working space and we are very modern, young, self-employed gals. On Monday, you and I got our DIY caps on. We were putting together IKEA furniture. We were soundproofing the walls. I think our soundproofing panels look pretty cool. Maybe I'll put a story up on our Instagram today so that people can give me their feedback because I I mean, I don't want to brag. This was kind of my vision. This was your vision. There are a few gaps between the soundproofing panels. <laughs> don't tell them. No one can see that unless Aww. you go really up close. It's humbling. It feels nice. For anyone who's wondering what the hell soundproofing panels are, it's kind of like putting carpet up on the wall. Exactly. To help the sound of this podcast be as good as possible for you guys, the beloved listeners. What else about my week? My Thank God You're Here petition is doing quite well. How well is quite well? It's got about 2,000 signatures. I would say that's quite well. I think we need to quadruple it to get any kind of attention. Greedy girl, but sure. (laughs) I just want everyone, if you want, thank God you're here, to come back, please go sign my petition for it. It's in the show notes. I think we can get to at least 5,000. If we don't get to 5,000, this this podcast has a lot of listeners. It's a failure. It would only be a small percentage of the listeners who need to sign this petition to then get my 5,000 signatures. So please, if you are a beloved listener of the show, show your support by signing my petition. I'm just wondering if we could be using our power for better petitions, but that's for another time, Michelle. Any recommendations this week? Absolutely. I would love to recommend our own show, which is called Reality Check. Nice one. We launched a new podcast last Friday. If you guys follow us on social media, you probably saw it floating around. I know we are biased, right? I know that I can't be detached (laughs) from this production because it came out of both of our brains and it is voiced by two women that we love very, very very dearly, Annabelle Lee and Maver Heim. 
For anyone who is watching The Bachelorette right now or Love Island Australia, this is the podcast for you. It goes for about 25 to 30 minutes. It drops every Friday and it analyzes the best reality television shows that young Australian women are watching. I just think people should listen to it. I think they're so clever. The girls are so funny. I listen to them during the recordings and just think, what the fuck? This is exactly what I think, but I can't say as eloquently as they can. So it's please. the sugar hit you need for your Friday. Oh, nice tagline, You're Zara. Welcome. She does not work in advertising, but perhaps she could. <laughs> it's equal parts sugar and sass, and it's awesome. So we'll also leave a link in the show notes for you to subscribe to that show because, as we know, subscribes are the best way to show support other than petitioning for thank god you're you're looking at me with the eyes that i need to shuffle on but can i just say thank you to all the women who said they also hate bananas okay i'm done and thank you to the women who supported me for my love of bananas no fuck bananas okay (laughs) let's get into the segment because zara there was one article this week that made us i would say furious I would say I felt fury and it was an opinion piece in the Herald Sun this week about Nadia Bartel and I have to say Nadia Bartel is getting a lot of press at the moment and I hardly want to be part of the media that continues to elevate the story and push the story on because I do think that they deserve privacy to a degree but this story was so horrendous I actually said to you I can't sit back and not pull the story apart because it was one of the most appalling things I've read this year. Yeah so while Nadia Bartel is going to be part of this segment please know for anyone listening who's a little bit sick of the Nadia Bartel coverage. We're not really focusing on Nadia or her family at all here. We're focusing on the coverage of Nadia and her family because this article was cheap, tacky, awful journalism. And I don't think we need to name the journalist involved because I don't think it's necessary. I just think the crux of this and this article, which I think you're going to actually read out for everyone in a second, is that it was entirely biased and misinformed and went out to thousands and thousands of Australians without any due diligence. So the story was about uh, Nadia Bartel oversharing her children on Instagram at a time that she, when she was going through a divorce. And I wanted to open by reading a few of the paragraphs to give you guys as much context as we possibly can. And I think there is no better context than reading from the story itself. The story said, there's been a lot of sympathy for brave and heartbroken wag Nadia Bartel over recent weeks after news broke of her split from her husband, the DeLong great and Brownlow medalist Jimmy Bartel. But despite the fact Jimmy has apparently moved on with Nadia lookalike Lauren Mand, we should not assume he is not feeling pain over the marriage breakup, especially when it comes to his precious children. The eldest is only three and the baby not even a year old. And DeLong sources say that Jimmy still spends a lot of time with his little boys who he absolutely adores. I think it's really interesting to note how this story is set up as Jimmy the doting father. Like most kids whose parents break up, the boys will most likely come through it relatively unscathed. Having a mother and father living apart won't be ideal, but neither will it be insurmountable or even unusual. What is far sadder, in my opinion, is the fact the boys have been in the media spotlight since they were born. Indeed, the eldest, whose ultrasound image and entry into the world was posted on Nadia's blog, was made famous in the womb and labour ward and thrust into the world of social media as a newborn. Since birth, both boys have featured regularly on their mum's blog and social media accounts as she and unknown Knowingly, they spruit clothes, cosmetics, cars, multivitamins, and Fisher Price toys. This is not to say, and by the way, I'm just grabbing a few lines to paint the picture here. This is not to say or imply that Nadia is a bad parent. In fact, to the contrary, her devotion to her children is obvious. But I wonder if maybe that love would be better shown by keeping the kids off her social media platforms rather than featuring them. Well, well, well. Now, before I say anything, I do want to say this is a worthwhile topic to explore. I absolutely think. 
looking at the implications and the downfalls and the positive aspects of sharing children online is a worthwhile topic. Discussing it in this way by pinpointing one woman and trying to eviscerate her to a readership of 1.2 million people is so irresponsible. And I cannot believe that this article was published because the whole crux of this article, and you might disagree, you might agree with this, Zara, to me, is that Nadia Bartel shouldn't be posting her children on social media as much and that Nadia Bartel is wrong for including her children in branded media campaigns. And as you just explained, the journalist in question opened her article by positioning Jimmy Bartel as the ideal parent, the devoting father, the doting dad. He's precious boys. Exactly. And that Nadia was somehow the antithesis of that. Whereas if this journalist had done any level of investigative work, she would have seen that Jimmy Bartel has done ad campaigns with his sons and posted them to his 120,000 Instagram followers as well. In August 2018, he shot a Tommy Hilfiger Father's Day campaign with Aston. In November, he posted with his son and a Vitamix machine. He also posted with Henley just this week in a post that wasn't marked as sponsored, but was taken at Melbourne Zoo and tagged Melbourne Zoo in the caption, which I would argue might be some kind of collaboration going on that wasn't disclosed. So the entire crux of the article completely falls down. I don't even understand how this got through the editors or how someone pressed publish on this when the entire crux of this is positioning Nadia as someone who uses her children for financial gain when Jimmy isn't, when in fact they have both had the exact same social media behaviour and posting since their kids were born. It feels like an absolutely wild, illogical and nasty attack on a woman who is likely at the lowest point in her life. And I think that's why I've been so furious. I understand, and I think you understand more than anyone, that a big story that drives big clicks means journalists look for any angle to squeeze out of it. But this feels blatantly negligent because of all of the things that you just said. The facts don't add up. You cannot write an opinion piece that ignores half of the facts that are sitting at the table. It is lazy and dangerous journalism. And to me, this reeks of sex. We hate female influencers and we hate them even more when they upload and make money off their children. Where is that scathingness? I don't even know if scathingness is a word for men. The inference here, I reckon, is that Jimmy would only have done the sponsored content under Nadia's eye and Nadia's watch, which is fundamentally sexist and gross as if he has no power or autonomy himself. Don't you think that's how we position men or fathers in mm. that they probably weren't the ones to organise the deals. They're just doing it on behalf of their wives. It feels very cynical as well to imply that Nadia would only be posting ultrasound photos of her sons, which I will add Jimmy Bartel did as well. I Jimmy know. has <laughs> ultrasound photos of his sons up for his 120,000 followers to see. So again, the opinion piece falls down there too. It's very cynical to pretend that Nadia would only post those things to grow her profile or grow her following. Where is the benefit of the doubt that, yeah, Nadia is a public person, I get that, but she's also a human and someone who's probably really bloody happy to be pregnant with her baby boys. Can't she just share that with the world? Does that have to be something that we critique and analyse as building her brand or being toxic and damaging and that their entry to the world was announced on an Instagram profile? Like, ooh, what's everyone going to do with a fucking ultrasound like image? It's fucked. It's just, we all do it. Like we all upload, I say we, we don't, like you and I aren't pregnant, but everybody uploads an ultrasound photo. Particularly fathers, right? And we constantly see high profile Australian women, Beck Judd, Zoe Foster Blake is another one, Nadia Bartel now, wheeled out and eviscerated for sharing their kids online. 
when all of their male partners are doing the exact same thing. I don't understand why it's a motherly thing that we need to focus on the mothers destroying their children on social media when they're just posting happy moments with their kids. And yes, branded campaigns, I understand that's something that people might have differing opinions on. Absolutely. Please do come talk to us about that in the podcast Facebook group. But as far as sharing ultrasound photos and photos of you and your kids eating dinner or photos of you and your kids at the beach, does that have to be something that we make political? Slam? Well, we also make it incredibly political. And I do think that we glorify this idea of the maternal instinct where they need to be the ones that protect their children at all costs. I feel like the conversation around sharenting is so heavily gendered. We act like women are like controlling witches who are forcing their children into the limelight while the goofy, vague dad just floats in the background and doesn't make any of these decisions Mm. himself. It's not just damaging for women, it's damaging for men as dads too because I think when we do stuff like that, we make so many excuses for their inability to connect emotionally with children Mm. like we give them so many excuses to be kind of like this absent father which men generally don't want to be like those stereotypes hurt them as much as they hurt women yeah and to be blunt this is why publications like the herald sun have monikers like herald scum because this entire article that's really harsh i know it's fair this entire article is bullshit i really want to know we used to work in digital media zara I used to edit stories like this all the time and you would think that as an editor someone would go through and make sure the facts of the story are there. I know it's an opinion piece but if the opinion can be very readily debunked by two pop culture journalists on a podcast like Shameless. Just some Instagram stalking. I just don't understand. Like there is such responsibility with putting things out into the world. And if you work at the Herald Sun and you're reporting on someone's life, at least go to the effort to make sure that what you're reporting is true. I think the shortcomings of this angle are mind-blowing. And the fact this is still online when it is blatantly untrue and unfair is not okay. It's not okay. The Herald Sun should be called out for coverage like this. Yeah, it's a celebrity story. And yeah, we're talking about influencers and wags and pop culture and what have you. But there are real people involved in this. And the thing that gets me is we're writers. And when you write something, you're putting information out into the world. When you do a podcast, you're putting information out into the world. At least make sure that information stacks up. You're not always going to get everything right, but to get it so blatantly wrong is inexcusable. Well, it's completely irresponsible. And I think there was also commentary in our Facebook group too about whether this was Jimmy's PR team finally healing back. And I doubt very much that that's the case. This is just a bad take on an issue that doesn't need airtime because journalists are desperate for clicks. And this, unfortunately, and really saddeningly, would have delivered them. You know what this would have been? An editor going into a Slack channel saying, guys, lots of people are clicking on Nadia Bartel. What's our de- what's the angle on Nadia and Jimmy today? Or that or a desperate freelance journalist who doesn't have any ideas that week and is desperate for an article to be taken. Yeah, absolutely. And I think we need to do better. And by we, I mean Herald Scum. <laughs> Thank you, next bitch. And now it is time for the quick and dirty. As always, we bring you five stories. The five top stories, I mean, that's debatable, from the rough and tumble of the news cycle, the pop culture news cycle, that is. Michelle. Wow, lots of caveats in that opener. (laughs) Disclaimer, disclaimer, disclaimer. What have you got for me? My first story, why the internet is wrong about Hayley Bieber's wedding dress. That is from Vogue. Zara, not sure if you saw this one, but her veil was by Off-White, which is a designer. I'm not very up with designers. I'm going to sound really uncool. Back me up. Like I'm not 
no, I don't really know. <laughs> I was going to be like, oh, yeah. And then I'm like, I just, I got nothing. So the veil was gorgeous, 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 really timeless until you got to the very edge of the veil, which in block lettering read, till death do us part. Now, some people simply didn't like the look of the block letters, didn't really tie in with the fancy old school wedding dress that Haley had on, but the grammatical conundrum that the letters produced was what caused the most controversy. So it was spelled till T-I-L-L, which I thought was cashier till. Yes. So till death to us part, I as a writer would write apostrophe T-I-L, death to us part. Because it's like until. Yes, exactly. Not the case here, T-I-L-L, caused a social media storm. I was very much in the camp that this was a grammatical error. I'm a little <laughs> bit still in that camp. I think <laughs> I think the dress designer might get away on a technicality because I did read a piece where the journalist spoke to someone from Merriam-Webster Dictionary and apparently T-I-L-L, death to us part, oh was gosh. used in the 1300s. Merriam-Webster, Merriam-Webster. <laughs> I think that that basically... Basically reads, cashier death do us part. <laughs> yes, uh, it's not the best, is it? To be fair, I don't think Justin Bieber and Hayley Bieber necessarily care about grammatical errors. Have you read any of Justin Bieber's yes. captions as of late? Yes, and therefore I agree. Yes. My second story, Twitter loses it over Angie's response to the most disgusting behaviour we have ever seen on The Bachelorette. That is from now to love. And of course, Zara, for those who didn't watch the first couple of episodes of The Bachelorette, this is discussing politician Jess who made comments to Angie that she should be worried about his wandering fingers when she was sitting on his back in a photo shoot. Yeah, it was desperately gross. I think it was great, the silver lining, that the response was as almost aggressive as it needed to be Mm. from the public. Like, people were unimpressed. It was good that Angie was given the space to be the SmackDown woman, I guess. I mean, it's good for Channel 10 that they position her as the woman in power. Yeah, I don't mean to be too earnest about this, but it was refreshing to see so many of the guys in the moment, not just in Vox Pops to the camera, in the moment respond to me like, you're being gross, you're being a creep, that's sick. Lots of the men had a big problem with the way he was behaving, which of course they should. It was a little bit rapey, to be brutally honest, yeah. those comments. So that was the one upside to this story to me, that so many of the men around him called him out and didn't find it funny because so often this can be downplayed as a joke. People have been pinging me or messaging me all week asking for my predictions and magic takes time, people. <laughs> no, you always say in the first I'm episode kidding. you can tell. I just thought that I would um wait for the episode. So what I think has happened is Carlin wins, but Carlin and Angie may not be together or they will be together during the press tour but there will be some sort of three to six month contract where they'll loosely be together until they split. Bit of a Sophie Monk Stu Laundy sitch. I am getting huge Sophie Monk Stu Laundy vibes because I think she's being too vague and I know in in an interview on the project she did say I'm still with the person but I found her demeanor and her wording strange oh she wasn't glowing you know how some people like i like, swear to god matt agnew got on the bachelor and was like i'm so in love yes. i've never been so obsessed with someone i found my person and most people like georgia love and lee did that maddie J and laura did that and now we've got angie sitting on the bachelor going i'm still with the person and i'm happy yes exactly so i feel strange about it i just don't feel confident that there's going to be a happy ending mm, me neither my third story carrie and Kennelly reckons extinction rebellion protesters should be used as speed bumps. That is from Junkie. 
So Carrie-Anne. Carrie-Anne's at it again. So for those who missed it, they were pretty sizable Extinction Rebellion. That's a hard thing to say. Such a fucking hard word to say. Did you hear me stumble over that a few times? Michelle had to read that headline three times. Extinction Rebellion um, protests around the country. And they are going to pretty extreme lengths to make their points. They are... I don't know. We did walk past some in Brisbane and they were wearing very scary masks. Yeah. and I, I felt I, quite intimidated. I heard people were like gluing themselves to the road or whatever it might be. Carrie Ann comes to uh, Studio 10 and says, half as a joke, maybe we should just run them over as speed bumps. I just, yeah. Look, no, we shouldn't do that, Carrie Ann. <laughs> we shouldn't be running anyone over. Carrie Ann needs to pipe down with the hot takes. But Studio 10 must love it. Like, they must fucking love it. Well, she would be the voice piece for so many Australians in that demographic. Lots of people on Twitter are talking a lot like Carrie Ann Kennelly, and she's just getting up on TV and saying it. So as much as I wish she wasn't getting on TV and saying it, maybe it's important that we know that that's how some Australians feel and as gross and violent as it is, it exists and it's out there and... Carrie-Anne is now the face of it. Great positive take, Michelle. My fourth story. This is not mine. This is yours. You're going to have to explain why it's here for me, Zara. James Blake and Jamila DeMille challenged the myth of the creative muse. That is from Sydney Morning Herald. That sounds far too highbrow for a quick and dirty story. (laughs) It does, doesn't it? I I didn't know that James Blake and Jamila DeMille were dating. What a power couple. I would love to know if I was the only one who let that pass me by. But I thought that this was an interesting story because James Blake has recently released an album and in an interview with Billboard about his latest album, he spoke about the significant role that Jamila Jamil played in producing the album. When the interview went to print, um, Billboard couldn't really get their heads around the fact that Jamila Jamil actually helped out. So what they said was how his girlfriend Jamila Jamil inspired the record. Now, James Blake tweeted back, not just inspired it, she actually worked on it. I even said it in the interview, but people focus on inspired because the idea of the muse is so romantic and pervasive. I have a confession to make. What? While you were giving that rundown, I was Googling and I confused James Blake with James Blunt. (laughs) In my head, I've been playing You're Beautiful over and over and then I realised it's James Blake as in the really good musician behind songs like uh, Retrograde. Yeah, he's like legit. And so I thought you would know that because you said it was highbrow. If this was a James Blunt story, (laughs) this wouldn't be highbrow. Well, in my head, I was like, that's quite the downward step for Jamila Jamil to be dating James Blunt. <laughs> James Blunt's pretty fucking funny these days if you follow him on Twitter. Who is James Blunt dating? Does he have a wife or something? You have literally absolutely annihilated the, the best story in The Quick and Dirty, which was the no bullshit way James Blake absolutely ruined Billboard by saying that Jamila wasn't his muse. She fucking helped on the album. That's really beautiful. Would you like to know James You're Blunt's beautiful. dating history? <laughs> Does anyone want me to sing again? <laughs> Please don't. James Blunt, for those wondering, is married to a woman called Sophia Willisy. <laughs> and you say you don't get your celebrity news on this James, podcast. This is the funny thing. I actually love James Blake music, but James Blake and James Blunt have very similar names. And I just got a bit frazzled there. <laughs> My fifth and final story for today's <laughs> Quick and Dirty. MasterChef Australia, new judge Melissa Leong defends herself over negative tweets about the show. Actually, this is an amazing story this too. This is epic. So MasterChef announced their new trio of judges. There is Melissa Leong, Andy Allen and Jock Zanfrillo. I'm not going to lie. I have no idea who <laughs> any of those people are. I'm not in the like reality TV MasterChef-y food cooking competition scene. It's 
completely niche what you've just described, <laughs> that scene. I'm not in that scene. But this story did catch my eye because hours after Leong was announced as one of the new judges, tweets from 2012 resurfaced where she wrote things like, <clears throat> ready for this? What happens when you go on MasterChef and then open a restaurant? Apparently not much. Back to second-hand car sales then. Brutal. Another one. Ha, ha, ha. Retweet. No, David, the biggest mistake an amateur chef can make is going on MasterChef. That's pretty scathing for a show that would now be paying her, I would guess, upwards of 500k a year. Yeah, and it's not even like she needs to work for the year. It's a few months of filming and a few months of press and that's about it. Mm. They must have been really sold on her ability to bring an audience and really sold on her ability to demand screen time and have presence on a screen time if they are willing to put her forward knowing full well that those tweets were in her backlog because there's absolutely no way Channel 10 wouldn't have known that they were in her Do backlog. You think? Absolutely. She would have had to have disclaimed straight away because it was going to be the first thing that came up on the press tour. Mm. They could not have been caught off guard, Michelle. I don't know. There's two too much at stake for this. They would not have been caught off guard. I, this will sound controversial, human error and not checking things adequately enough never surprises the me. The stakes were so and no, are I so th- high for this. I think there are so many hands across something like this that it could very easily be forgotten to do a deep dive Twitter search into the into the hallways of 2012. I honestly think they didn't know about these tweets. They would have known about them. We can agree to disagree. We shall agree to disagree. Is that all you've got for me? That is all I've got. It has literally been the story of the decade. And when I say literally been the story of the decade, I don't actually mean the story of the decade. Hyperbole. But stay with me. On Wednesday, Colleen Rooney, wife of British soccer player Wayne Rooney, posted a statement on Twitter about something that had been a burden in her life for a few years now, and finally she had gotten to the bottom of it. That burden was a friend, another wag, Rebecca Vardy, leaking stories from her private Instagram account to British tabloid The Sun. So... In order to catch Vardy and find out if it was Vardy doing the leaking, she blocked everyone from viewing her Instagram stories and planted fake stories only for Vardy's account to see. When those fake stories were inevitably leaked to the press, Rooney took to Twitter and the rest, as they say, is history. Mish, what happened next? Well, what happened next is the most delicious, (laughs) delightful amazing social media content that I have ever seen. Art happened. How many times am I able to say I have ever seen? Like I basically come on this podcast every week. I'm like, this is my favourite thing ever. (laughs) This is my favourite thing ever. We are not worthy of this story. What happened next is a viral all-encompassing Twitter storm that had people tweeting that they wanted the rest of the day off work so they could engross themselves as much as possible with the ins and outs and the machinations of this gossip story. For context, for those wondering, yeah, we do have two wags and I'll put that in inverted commas because I know not everyone adores that label. There are two key players in this game. First of all, we have amateur detective Colleen Rooney, who is, <laughs> who is 33. She has four kids. She has become well-known for her best-selling exercise DVD. I did not know that. Did Classic. you know that? No. Her, autobiogra- like- <laughs> her autobiography and a series of fashion and style books called Colleen Style Queen. <laughs> you might recognise her name because she's also the wife of Wayne Rooney, as Zara said. He is one of the UK's best ever soccer players. He is also a man who cheats on Colleen 
about four times a year. Yeah, look, there's a new story every few months about it, but that is by the by for now. Often with him being caught behind the wheel of other women's cars while intoxicated. That did happen Moving once. right along. <laughs> then we have prime suspect in the story, Rebecca Vardy. She went on Britain's I'm a Celebrity, Get Me Out of Here and was eliminated in about the first week. Not her finest oh, moment. Bexy. She is <laughs> She is married to one of the country's other best soccer players, Jamie Vardy. Now, as you said... Rebecca Vardy's account has been pulled into this controversy. And I say account, Zara, because that was some very strategic wording. It was. So I might read you guys a few lines from this statement because it was a beautifully worded statement if I've ever seen it. Colleen Rooney said, For a few years now, someone who I trusted to follow me on my personal Instagram account has been consistently informing the Sun newspaper of my private posts and stories. After a long time of trying to figure out who it could be for various reasons, I had a suspicion. To try and prove this, I came up with an idea. I blocked everyone from viewing my Instagram stories except one account. Over the past five months, I have posted a series of false stories to see if they made their way into the Sun newspaper. And you know what? They did. The story about the gender selection in Mexico, the story about returning to TV, and then the latest story about my basement flooding in my new house. It's been tough keeping it to myself and not making any comment at all, especially when the stories have been leaked. However, I have to. <laughs> I'm probably... I want to clap while you talk. <laughs> it's just epic. Now I know from certain which account slash individual it's come from. I have saved and screenshotted all the original stories, which clearly show just one person has viewed them. It's dot, dot, dot. Dot, 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 Rebecca Vardy's account. Now, when Michelle said it's important that wording of account, it is because there's some real legal speak going on here. I think she's made sure that she cannot be sued by this by just saying it was Rebecca Vardy's account rather than Rebecca Vardy the person. There are lawyer fingerprints all (laughs) over this. It's very, very clever to say it's her account because she has proof of that. She doesn't have proof that it was literally Rebecca on the screen of her phone sending these stories through. However, I think we can all connect the dots as if a very famous wag is going to have a bunch of other people in and out of her account. Well, Michelle, I think you find that in response, Rebecca Vardy said, over the years, various people have had access to my Insta. And just this week, I found I was following people I didn't know and have never followed myself. I'm not being funny, but I don't need the money. What would I gain from selling stories on you? So I do love that she's pushing this. Oh my God, everyone has access to my account. It could have been anyone. Mm, The immediate question that did come to my mind, of course, which Rebecca Vardy addressed in her statement was why would someone like Rebecca Vardy want to sell stories about another wag to the sun? Obviously, the first thing that comes to my mind is money. But in the case of Rebecca Vardy, she doesn't need the money. Her husband is bringing in £140,000 a week. That's 250000 Australian dollars every single week for the year. Why would a Loose woman... Change. Yeah, well, why would a woman who is earning that figure every week feel the need to go to the sun. However, I still think she has done it. In my mind, oh, she has to have done it. For sure. It's, absurd. it's about so much more than money. For a British wag, a positive relationship with the country's biggest and most ruthless tabloid is worth so much more than any money. I think that there was some great stuff on Twitter around about the stories that The Sun ran in the last year or so about Rebecca Vardy, and there were very random stories about her bikini shots on a holiday. They also did a cover story with her too. So I would imagine for someone of her stature and of her presence in UK 
social circles, having a good relationship with the sun is huge. That's actually great. Good work. You've just answered my question for me. (laughs) There was a really interesting passage in The Guardian. And before I get into it, how great that The Guardian is concerning themselves so deeply with this story. I feel like they're leading the coverage on this story. Listen to the thing. You would think that this is the most lowbrow story of 2019. And it is. But... Publications like the Sydney Morning Herald, The Guardian, ABC Australia, New York Times are all writing explanation pieces on this, which makes it all the more sweeter. So in The Guardian, one journalist wrote, Vardy denies involvement, although her Instagram account already follows two of the Sun journalists who authored the disputed articles. The Sun has run dozens of stories about Vardy in recent months, many of them exclusive, and some of which were bylined by the same reporters who wrote the stories about Rooney, which were allegedly based on false information. (laughs) I mean, there's a lot of facts adding up here, Michelle, though I don't want to point fingers. I think timing in this story is incredibly important. And I've, I've been thinking a little bit over the last few days about what makes this such a good story and why it's captured not just Britain, but so many other countries too. And I think it's it's for a few reasons. A, it's the British tabloids embarrassing themselves. And I think that's a huge part about this. The Sun looks stupid for publishing false stories. And I think that has a huge part to play. I think the fact that they're the wives of some of the country's most high profile soccer players. I think the wording and the structure of the statement, the very deliberate wording and structure of the statement. The ellipses. The ellipses that I alluded to before, the legal speak, the Twitter reaction. But I also think Britain has been bogged down in Brexit talk for such a long time that this is the ultimate sugary light relief. Like I don't think you can find a story that's more sugary than this. Absolutely. And for a 24-hour window, despite the fact that Brexit is going to drastically change the lives of everyone in the UK in probably three weeks' time, this was the more Googled search term. More people were Googling Rebecca Vardy and Colleen Rooney than Googling Brexit. And that says a lot about how to capture a nation's attention in a time of political unease like that. And I have been sitting at my desk cacking myself at random points of the day. Like, you will hear me and you'll be like, did you just see another tweet or something? And it's usually the case because this story has made me laugh out loud more than any story has in a long time. Marina Hyde wrote a really, really funny piece for The Guardian about this where she said, it was was, of course, Rebecca's husband, Jamie, who once swept onto Twitter to observe cat shit get banged. <laughs> what does that mean? <laughs> like nothing. That's the one that's so funny He's about it. He's earning a quarter of a million dollars a week. And his tweet, repeat that tweet to me again. Cat shit get banged. That man is earning a million dollars a month. <laughs> But there has there ever been a banging of a shit chatter like it? Five months. It's a lifetime. There are characters in spaghetti westerns who have bided their time and planned their revenge quest less doggedly than Colleen. <laughs> I do think, Michelle, Wayne's cheating actually does have something to do with how quickly we're willing to hail her a hero. Oh, absolutely. We've been totalic in our support for Colleen Rooney. And I think that's because she's clearly taken this very seriously. It would matter a lot to someone of her level of fame to see personal stories be leaked, which makes me think that personal stories leaked last year were probably overwhelmingly true. She was probably quite upset to see them repeatedly taken to the media. This would matter a lot to her. And the fact that she took must have been six months or something to get three significant stories into the sun to get this level of information, this level of proof is impressive. Like I actually think the amount of investigative work that she put into this is to be commended. It's quite 
cool that a mum of four would take this so seriously and be so strategic about it. On the flip side, it's also really funny to see that Rebecca Vardy has literally called in forensic IT experts, I shit you not, to clear her name and supposedly prove that other other people and other IP addresses were accessing this account. Another point to this, Michelle, is a source told The Sun in a story about Rebecca Vardy that Becky has a, <laughs> Becky has a thick skin and is used to being a victim of trolling, but she fears deeply for the person who did it and how they would cope if they were identified. So this source, who couldn't be Rebecca Vardy, <laughs> told The Sun that if she was able to prove it wasn't her, she wouldn't leak that. My other favourite tweet, Michelle, just to round this segment out was from Netflix who said, we are going to have to make a documentary about this, aren't we? Absolutely. Netflix, please give the people what they want. You gave us Fire Festival. Now we want this. We want it to be called Wagatha Christie, please. (laughs) And we want it now. We want it now. My final point, Zara, is that Social Blade is a hell of a social tool. I just love that thing so much. I went on Social Blade and saw that while Rebecca Vardy was gaining about 100 followers a day before this news broke. She has been averaging 20,000 new followers a day since this clusterfuck emerged. And Colleen Rooney is gaining about 35,000 new Instagram followers a day. Bravo. What a way to build a career and build an influential (laughs) profile. Like, it's it's a story. It's just A plus. It's a thing of beauty. If you have a public profile, can you be friends with whoever you want? That's the dilemma Ellen DeGeneres is facing today after receiving public scrutiny for being photographed at a football game in a luxury box with controversial former US President George W. Bush. In response to the backlash, the television host explained, just because I don't agree with someone on everything doesn't mean I'm not going to be friends with them. I mean, be kind to everyone. It doesn't matter. Still, Zara, not everyone is convinced. In fact, some people vehemently disagree with that line of thought. With Vanity Fair journalist Laura Bradley writing in a now viral opinion piece, it's now hard to think of any message less compatible with our era than it doesn't matter what someone stands for. What did you make of the Vanity Fair story? I thought the Vanity Fair story was brilliant, but it took me a little while to read it because I think my initial reaction to the story was maybe a common one for people our age who are probably too young and were too far away from America to understand George W. Bush's reputation and why there was so much vitriol around this story. So initially, when I saw these headlines, I kind of shrugged my shoulders and thought, I just be friends with whoever you want. Like, isn't it nice that we are friends with people we disagree with? Having read this story and doing hours and days of reading, it is absolutely not that simple. Yeah. George W. Bush's legacy is a muddy one. More than muddy, yeah. At best. So for those who aren't across it, many, many Americans and people internationally accused George Bush of actually committing war crimes when he invaded Iraq. Actor Mark Ruffalo tweeted about this story with Alan and George W. Bush this week, and I think he gives a really accurate summation. So if you want to just get a quick bite of what this is about, this is the tweet you need. Mark Ruffalo said, sorry, until George W. Bush is brought to justice for the crimes of the Iraq war, including American-led torture, Iraqi deaths and displacement, and the deep scars, emotional and otherwise, inflicted on our military that served his folly, we can't even begin to talk about kindness. That tweet from Mark Ruffalo got a huge response. It got 385,000 likes, 85,000 retweets, and really exemplified just how deeply many Americans feel burned and scarred and hurt 
by George Bush's legacy. It's about more than just having questionable political opinions and it's about more than being friends with someone you disagree with. It's about the role of someone in a global war that may not have needed to happen. Who played a role in deaths of, of many, millions, many, many people. Millions of people. I wanted to read out Ellen's uh, full statement as well just quickly here because I do think her response matters in the context of what we're going to talk about today, Michelle. She said, here's the thing, I'm friends with George Bush. In fact, I'm friends with a lot of people who don't share the same beliefs that I have. We're all different and I think we've forgotten that that's okay. Just because I don't agree with someone on everything doesn't mean I'm not going to be friends with them. When I say be kind to one another, I don't mean only the people that think the same way that you do. I mean be kind to everyone. It doesn't matter. I thought that one of Laura Bradley's quotes was really, really bang on Mish in that Vanity Fair story where she said, there's something especially on brand about DeGeneres' plea for unconditional kindness. She's made her name as a bubbly talk show host slash celebrity whisperer who can befriend just about anyone. But the continued backlash against DeGeneres, even after her address, is also a sign that such a brand is incompatible with reality. Mm. I think that's a really strong point. To treat people with kindness, I think, is such an oversimplification of where we are at the moment and particularly where America is at the moment. Absolutely. I think another important detail to this story before we dive really deeply in is that famously Bush also opposed classifying crimes against gay people as hate crimes. And Constance Grady from Vox painted a really interesting picture in that she wrote, Ellen is a trailblazer who taught middle America not to be afraid of lesbians. Most famously, she came out of the closet in 1997 while still the star of a primetime network sitcom and weathered both the ensuing controversy and her show's cancellation to survive and thrive in Hollywood. George W. Bush is the architect of the Iraq War who built a large part of his appeal on the idea that middle America should be absolutely afraid of lesbians. It's a hard conversation because like I said at the very start, my initial uh, response was, oh my God, of course you can be friends with people that you disagree with. I am friends with people that I disagree with. But I think the point that we want to make is that it goes so far beyond disagreeing with someone. Ellen's response is jarring and it's a jarring perspective in an era defined by derision, I think, to be Mm. honest. You would think that it would make sense, like let's unite over differences. But the reality is too many people are hurt and lost and upset and angry at the moment for this to be the case. I think it speaks a lot to this trend of celebrities quashing bad vibes or ugly sentiment with kindness. I think as well it's very, very easy for someone with Ellen DeGeneres' platform and wealth and privilege to be kind and to be friends with someone like George Bush because she was never probably going to be a victim of George Bush's actions. She is a woman earning $90 million a year. So while she can say, be nice to these people, associate with people who disagree with you, it's good for our growth, she's in a position of power that hardly anyone else has. It's the same with other celebrities who actually weighed into this debate too and agreed with Ellen. Reese Witherspoon came out and said that Ellen's speech was a great reminder to everyone. But I would say the same for Reese Witherspoon. Reese Witherspoon is not going to be victim to George Bush's legacy. Same with if they came out and said they wanted to be best friends with Trump. Okay, great, but you're a woman in power and you need to look at the people below you and lift them up and think about their experiences and how they might be victimised by these powerful men. It's also really, really fucking fluffy to talk about feelings and beliefs and idea systems when this is so much grittier than that. It is so gritty and I think that's why we're encouraging you to actually go and do your own reading on George W. Bush because if we started to talk about the stories and the grit around uh, his legacy, we would be here for hours. Constance Grady in that piece for Vox that you just quoted before also spoke about this idea of kindness or brand of kindness is not about kindness for the powerless. It's about kindness for the powerful 
helpful. And Shannon Keating also wrote for BuzzFeed. This line really hit me. I think it was the stand first under her article. She wrote, the most privileged among us too often prioritise positivity over justice. Mm. And I thought that was a really beautiful line of thought because I think it's so true. It keeps harping back to why so many celebrities keep saying like good vibes only like it's such an oversimplification of how we interact with each other I think Ellen as well is a culprit of repeatedly downplaying valid criticism as hating or being nasty or being mean when people have legitimate concerns and legitimate feelings and they're not haters for voicing that they just feel what they feel and they should be able to come onto her platform and tell her as such what does irk me about this story to argue against what we've just said for a little bit is that lots of people are implying that because Ellen DeGeneres is an icon and a gay icon that she needs to be a gay activist and I don't think Ellen DeGeneres is that. I don't think that because George Bush is vocally anti-same-sex marriage or rumouredly perhaps a little bit homophobic, I don't think that means that Ellen DeGeneres cannot be friends with him and that she needs to isolate herself from him because I think she can just be a gay woman and sit in that and not have to adopt this activist label that everyone else is trying to put onto her. Yeah, and make decisions based on what other people want rather than what she wants. I have actually thought a lot about this over the last few days too about her sexuality being pulled into the mix because I think it's a hard one and I have to be honest I'm in a few minds about it she has been part of a minority for a long time so there's the assumption therefore that she should be a spokesperson for it and I can kind of see it from both sides Mish though I think it's a bit rough in this case to not be able to separate her sexuality from her decisions it's literally like every decision she makes and every Mm. friend she makes has to be informed by her identity and we sort of assume that her being gay is her full identity Mm. if that makes sense but I don't think it should inform everything like can't she just be a woman making a friend and that's the conversation we're having I don't know like I actually don't have the answer to that yeah as far as this goes for the record and I think we've said this on other podcast episodes already anyway I absolutely agree with the sentiment that you should and can be friends with people who disagree with you I think that is really healthy our view of the world will become incredibly myopic if we're only surrounding ourselves with people who think the same ways we do however this isn't that I think when we're talking about people like George Bush we're not talking about people who think differently to you we're talking about people who have done really bad things so that's a question I want to put to you can you be friends and should you be friends with people who have done really bad things and had really bad patterns of behavior I feel young answering this question genuinely like I have an answer that I will give to you in a second but I would love to re-ask myself this question in five years and see if if maturity will have changed it Can you be friends with someone that does bad things? I think it's the same argument as the idea that can you create change from within? So is being near this person better than not being near them at all because you can maybe change their perspective? Or if you're in a company that's a little bit fucked up, (laughs) by being inside of it, can you create change too? I actually think that that can be used as a cop-out. I think if there's no loss, be it to a person or to a company or, or anything else from them doing bad things, then they will never learn. Mm. I think if you want to be friends with someone who's done bad things, you have to accept the fact that your reputation is of someone who probably endorses those things, whether that be true or not. I think that's the byproduct of you being friends with them. Mm. Well, it's really interesting because I've only just read Boy Swallows Universe, which I know is a fictional book by Trent Dalton, who's an Australian journalist. But a big theme in that book is exploring 
humankind and human nature and whether or not we are all good or all bad and whether bad people can become good. And I truly believe bad people can become good. I just wonder if that's the case here. I mean, George Bush was, what, in power almost two decades ago. I would be curious to see if he has any level of regret or remorse. I think this would be a different story if he had come out and publicly said that he did the wrong thing. Oh, yeah, but then he'd be in jail, Michelle. Yeah, exactly. If he had expressed any kind of regret over his time in power and the things that happened with the Iraq war, then I would be more forgiving and I would be more sympathetic to this story. But because he hasn't and because there has never been any admission of wrongdoing, I can't afford that to him right now. I think in general you can absolutely be friends with someone who does a bad thing or does bad things because people can change and people are malleable and people can grow. I don't think that's the case here and it can't be until he shows any kind of any kind of responsibility for what happened. I do agree with you. I mean, like I said, you can be friends with them. I have. To, I just think you have to accept the fact that that has some implication for your reputation. David Burkus, who's a leadership expert and best-selling author, wrote an article about the fact that we're the sum of not just the five people we surround ourselves with, but all of the people that we surround ourselves with. And he said, your friends really are your future. And the implication is that you don't just need to be more deliberate about who you're spending the most time with. You need to be examining your entire network and its influence on your life. Mm. So if we're talking about being friends with bad people, be friends with bad people, but I think keep that in the back of their mind. What impact is that having on you, your reputation and your future? I also wonder, and I'll put this to you again, a little curveball, is it enough for someone like Ellen DeGeneres with the amount of power and sway she has with the general public, is it enough for someone like her to be like, okay, I will not be public with these kind of friendships that I have. It's damaging for me to publicly show support for this person and what they've done in the past, but I will still be friends with them privately. What are we actually asking of someone like Ellen DeGeneres in this case? It's kind of like that age-old question of if a tree falls in the forest and nobody (laughs) hears it, did it fall at all? Like genuinely. Ellen DeGeneres gets a cup of tea with George W. Bush in in the privacy of her own. Happen. Does it matter? <laughs> Probably not. Yeah, hundred percent. So with we're only talking about this if it's public. Yeah. So we're asking for the performative nature of their friendship to be privatized. I guess, but maybe that's an oversimplification of the story itself. I don't know. It's a really hard one. Please come to our Facebook group, Shameless Podcast Community, and come onto our episode thread to talk about this. It is incredibly dense. It's incredibly gritty, but I think it's an incredibly important conversation to have. Michelle, I think that might be all we have time for today. I think it is, guys. If you want to buy any of the Shameless charity merch, as we've said, we donate all of our cut, which is ten dollars per t-shirt to Sacred Heart Mission Women's House. You can buy those t-shirts this week. Keep an eye on our socials on Instagram. We're at Shameless Podcast. On Facebook, we are Shameless Podcast Community. We will post links so you can buy a t-shirt and support the Sacred Heart Women's House. Thank you so much, guys. We will be in your ears on Thursday as usual. Thank you so much. Click subscribe. It helps us. Love you. (laughs) Bye. Bye. Hello guys, Mish here. I am the co-founder of Shameless Media. Thank you so much for giving us your ears and your mind and your time. We're so grateful. If you enjoy the stuff that we produce, may I recommend our brand new podcast, Style-ish. Style-ish, if you want to say it quickly. Style-ish, if you want to take the long way through 
It is our podcast for all things fashion, brand, business, and beauty. If that is in your wheelhouse, if you care about style content, you will love this show. It is, of course, more than just a show as well. It is a newsletter. It is an Instagram feed. It is a TikTok account. There is so much good stuff going out on Stylish every single day starting now. So in your favorite app, search for Style-ish. Give it a listen. Give it a follow. We are an independent media company and we would be so, so grateful for all your support. That's all for me, guys. Check out Stylish and have a good one.